All right, welcome to episode 157 of the Jesus Famous Podcast. Uh, This little podcast exists to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed. That's the idea of Jesus Famous. Um, We want that in your everyday life. I'm your host, Nate Holdridge, pastor of Calvary Monterey on the California Central Coast. I preach about Jesus Famous on Sundays, but I also like to write and podcast about Jesus Famous during the week. Uh, This podcast consists of interviews and discussions and stories that we think will help propel you further into an appreciation of Jesus. So thank you so much for listening. If you're part of our church, great to be with you in this way. If you're not part of our church, thanks for listening from wherever you are. And uh, I want to remind you today of a few updates about the show. But before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about this episode. Uh, Today, I'm going to be asking a few questions of Pastor Manny Colazzo about how to be the church in a secular community. And uh, I think this is an important discussion that should be helpful to every believer out there, especially in our Western society. As our Western society drifts further from biblically informed philosophies for how to live life, it seems like a lot of Christians have experienced a shift and we're kind of in a culture shock. What do we do? How do we respond? Uh, Where our Christianity used to be respected way in the distant past, even people who weren't believers would kind of respect a church goer. Then more kind of in my era coming up in my childhood, it was tolerated. Uh, Now it seems like Christianity in the West is seen more and more as something that is harmful. Uh, Some used to think that it was comparable to believing in Santa Claus, but now many people think it's comparable to following Hitler. So what do we do? How do we live out our Christianity in a culture and time and place like that? So Manny is great at this. The reason I've asked him to be on the show with me today is because he's a true Christ follower and Jesus lover, and he has figured out many ways to love his neighbor as himself. He pastors Calvary Monterey with me. Uh, He holds a black belt in Okinawan Shindu Ryu. And like me, he's an introvert. So I'm going to ask him about that today. (laughs) But he's also intensely passionate and focused on loving people with the gospel, pushing past his introversion at times to minister to others. So I think you're really going to enjoy hearing his thoughts. But before I do that, I want to give that brief update. I told you in our last episode together that we're making some changes to the podcast just for the kind of going forward. We're always kind of evolving and changing with this podcast. But for right now, uh, for the rest of this year, probably into 2023, uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, posting an episode every other week. Um, As I mentioned last time, I'm not a professional podcaster. I'm a local church pastor. There's other things that we got to do and things we need to focus on, and sometimes less is better. So we'll be doing less episodes every other week, but hopefully they'll be better, higher in quality. So uh, on the show, we're going to be interviewing different people like I am today, different authors, having discussions on various subjects, getting my wife Christina into the uh, studio like we did in our last episode to talk about parenting or marriage or other topics. Um, So I'm really excited about the season that's coming. 
But uh, thanks for joining in. Manny, good to have you, man. It's great to be here. So what does it look like to be an introvert to you? What is Manny Colazzo introversion like? Well, uh, even though I love people and I like people, I believe in people, God has called me to serve people, people drain me. (laughs) And so um, what what that means is I just, as I'm giving, as I'm around people, I just feel like little by little uh, energy being depleted. It doesn't charge me up. How I get charged up is being alone. And so every once in a while, as, as I pay attention to my threshold, I could be in the middle of a crowd, maybe a family vacation, crowded house, and all of a sudden Manny will disappear. <laughs> You're just gone. I'm gone. Where's Manny? We're, we laugh as a family and they say, well, I guess maybe Manny went to go see a movie. Just dusted everybody. <laughs> I just need some alone time to recharge. And, um, and it's important for me to keep, uh, keep my finger on that threshold or else I get edgy, moody. What right. So, right. Yeah. Did you ever struggle with that as, uh, you know, cause at an early age, I know you felt called into the ministry and into the pastor. Did you ever struggle with that part of yourself? Like, man, this doesn't seem like a very pastoral godly thing to be. Jesus was all about people. Jesus always had people around him. The crowds were pressing on him. He was living for three and a half years with 12 disciples. I'm, I'm, I must be something wrong with me to be an introvert. Did you ever have to process that and struggle with that? Oh yeah. I mean, even before that, I mean, as I, you know, got, came to know Jesus and I would see pastors and as a, at a young Christian, I went to Calvary Bible college and was constantly in front of these awesome Bible communicators, Bible teachers. And I was constantly, t- I could never do that. I would mm. never do that. How do they get up there and talk for so long mm. on just one verse or even one word? Mm. And it wasn't until God captured my heart and said, man, I have a plan for you. I have a mission for your life and I'm calling you. And I, and out of obedience, I said, okay, God, let's do this. And so from, even from that time, I was, you know, concerned about my introversion. Then even as a pastor, um, realizing that, uh, you know, it was, it was difficult to, you know, at the end of a Sunday morning, you know, I'm tapped out. Right. I want to go home. I want to. Um, and so, you know, it really is a matter of me just growing more familiar with myself and knowing when that threshold is up and just saying, hey, this is how God has made me. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm wonderfully and wonderfully made, accepting it and also realizing, okay, here's what I need in order to be most effective yeah. to people. I found for me the stretching of your, your the self is just part of life. It's Mm -hmm. part of ministry. It's part of the process. You know, there are certain things that aren't second nature to me that I have to learn to do and grow in. And what I've discovered is though I have not been able to ditch my introversion and I don't want to, because I think that it's part of God's design of Nate Holdridge. And it's part of what's made me, um, excel in some of the ways that God wants me to excel. For instance, being a Bible teacher, that thinks for long hours about the word, you kind of have to be okay being by yourself. And I know pastors who are hyper extroverts, they struggle to study for 30 minutes because they can't (laughs) wait to leave and go talk to somebody. Um, But what I've discovered is that as I've stretched myself into saying, man, I want to love people. I want to be there for people. I want to just talk with people. Sometimes even when it feels sacrificial, I'm not getting recharged right now, but I'm pouring out. 
uh, the Lord meets us there, Amen. you know, and that's been a real refreshing part of ministry Absolutely. life for me. So a question that I have for you, you know, I'm going to, uh, today in this conversation, go through an article that I wrote based on, uh, Jeremiah 29 and looking at principles there for helping us, um, be the church in a secular community. But before I get to that, a question I have for you, because I've noticed you love ministering to people personally. You love reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. Do you think that being introverted has helped you with that a little bit to some degree? Yeah, as, I, as I've leaned into it, um, you know, my comfort level being one-on-one with somebody. Yeah, that's kind of what made you know. me wonder that. Mm-hmm. Because I know for me, that's... I, I love a, uh, I have a harder time with chit chat mm-hmm. and I have a harder time with large, like groups of people, like a circular table yes. is like a nightmare to me. <laughs> you know, if there's like eight seats uh-huh. and it's like a big circle and like, we're going to have one conversation all together. That's really hard for me. I love turning to the person next to me and just like really going deep yes. with them. So that's kind of why I asked you that question. It's, it's either that, the one-on-one, or being in front on stage in control. Right. That, that's yes. those yeah, two yeah. extremes. <laughs> I have a presentation. Yes. You sit there and listen. I will speak. I'm comfortable there or that one-on-one. Yes, well said. Well said. Okay, well, today, you guys, what we're doing is um, a few uh, weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I can't remember how long it was, I posted an article at nateholdridge.com called How to Be the Church in a Secular Community. And, you know, sometimes people have the time to read online articles, sometimes people don't. So what we thought we'd do today is uh, it's a four-point article. I'm just going to read each point. And after reading each point, it's all based, like I said, on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 4 through 9. After we read that point. Uh, I've got some questions for Manny in response. All right. So if you want to get the whole article, the link is in the show notes, but here's how it begins. Jeremiah had an unenviable task. Called by God at a young age, he was given the assignment of a doomsday prophet to a rebellious Israel. For centuries, ever since they shifted from a theocracy to a monarchy, God's nation battled disobedience to God's law, and now the day of reckoning would come. God needed to purge his people, beginning with a Babylonian invasion. A military campaign against Israel was nothing new, but Jeremiah introduced a concept many struggled to receive. This time, no matter how loudly they protested, repented, or revived, they would lose the battle and be forced into at least 70 years of captivity. When Jeremiah started with that message, false prophets responded in droves. This cannot be, they said. God loves us and will destroy the Babylonians. But Jeremiah's words stood the test of time. Everything he predicted came to pass. The people of Israel were forced into captivity. The people of Israel were, after 70 years, released, all as Jeremiah had said. And before the invasion he predicted came, Jeremiah had counsel for God's people. He told them how they ought to live once in Babylon. His directives instruct modern believers trying to live out their citizenship in Christ's kingdom, inside the kingdom of man. The way Jeremiah told them to do their exile is the way we should live. 
Leaving Israel to go to the world's cities was a new concept for God's people in Jeremiah's time, but not ours. From the book of Acts onward, Christians have always rushed into cultures, living out the lordship of Christ in their day-to-day lives. So how did Jeremiah tell his generation to live? So that was just the introduction. Sorry, this first point's a little longer because of the introduction. So the first point of how Jeremiah told his generation to live. Number one, know God sent you there. This is based on Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. First, Jeremiah told them God sent them there. God took credit for sending them to Babylon. They needed to know they weren't, even for a moment, outside the confines of his sovereign will while there. God had put them in that place. And believers today are helped when they accept God's sovereign direction for their lives. As long as we try to escape, as long as we believe the grass is greener on the other side, we will struggle to be the church God wants us to be. But if we accept the location we are in as God's providential hand of guidance, we will have taken the first step towards revival. Not everyone will be able to embrace this attitude, and some will only embrace it temporarily. We aren't, in Babel, we aren't Israel in Babylon, after all. We have no 70-year mandate. We should not feel bound to any one location in our free society, but we should also not turn our freedom of choice into perpetual daydreaming about life elsewhere. In his appropriately titled Paradox of Choice, psychologist Barry Schwartz demonstrates how an overabundance of options can lead to harmful effects like increased anxiety and dissatisfaction. If we're not careful, we can miss what God is doing today because we are taxing our minds with where to go tomorrow. Instead, we should embrace our cities as Christ embraces us with all our flaws and imperfections. Jesus works to make us better and we can do the same for the places we live. So that's the first point. No, God sent you there. You have any initial reflections or thoughts? I, I do. My mind is just exploding with the idea of being sent. Um, I, and I know God sends us to a particular city. Either we're born there and we never leave, or he literally says, hey, like he did Abraham, you are here, now I'm sending you out. Mm-hmm. But that's something that we see even in the very nature of God, this idea of sending. Yes. You know, from the very beginning, God the Father, he sends the Son. Mm-hmm. God God the Son sends God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, once he comes upon his church, we see in Acts chapter 2, sends the church. Yes. And I think that's a critical identity piece to, to uh, brand ourselves with and to put into our minds because it's important to gather, absolutely. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Mm-hmm. But I think we flip that and we think that our, ident- our identity is as a gathered people. Ah, yeah. We are a sent people yes. who gather yes. for the purpose of this great mission. And so that's the first thought that comes to mind. Know that God's, God has sent us to the world. We are constantly on this mission of being wherever we're at, whether it's limited to a city, whether it's going across, you know, to another city, to the, to the ends of the earth, whether it's going to our neighbor across the street, or even just walking across the room to that stranger. Yeah. We are sent. The gathering is not the end. The yes. gathering is like a, it's a launching pad yes. for what God has for us to do. You and I were talking about this recently with just our church's vision and mission statement and asking the question, you know, do we need to, because we love church planting yes. and our, 
our DNA as a, as a church, as a Calvary Chapel and the network we're part of as Calvary Global Network, we're, we're a church planting mm -hmm. thing. You mm -hmm. know, I, uh, you know, our church was planted in 1978 and we praise God for that, that group of people that were crazy and rowdy and wanted to, you know, go, they felt sent. And it's, that's not the only way that God reaches people. Sometimes he sends missionaries or organizations mm -hmm. or, you know, parachurch ministries. Um, but the, we were kind of talking about the planning of churches because what we were thinking about was just, if that's part of a church's aim, then kind of like the whole flow of what the church is about is going towards that. Like yes. we're all thinking of ourselves as a sent people. And I saw you write that somewhere recently that that's, that's gotta be more closely identified to who we are. We yes. have to think of ourselves as a sent people. Yeah. So I, I love that. So here God is sending Israel into Babylon. It's a, it's a disciplinary thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't mean to get into all of that today. You know, are we experiencing a decline in Christianity in our modern Western culture because God is disciplining the church for years of disobedience? I mean, that's a thorny subject and, and issue for a lot of people. But the question I have is what does exilic Christianity look like to you? You know, I mean, it, it feels like Babylon, we don't have to go to Babylon. It kind of feels like Babylon is coming to us a little bit. And I don't mean to overly dramatize it and make it seem like we're exiles. We're not. You know, there's so many people that still identify as Christian in the West um, and in the United States. Um, but we are on the California Central Coast. There's a lot less out here. So it does feel like Babylon's kind of coming to us. We're not totally exiles, but exilic Christianity. What, what is that to you? Well, I, I think what it looks like is, uh, similar to what it would look like to be Jesus in his context, in his world, you know, his values, his, the way his perspective, his words, mm -hmm. when someone chooses to be a follower of Christ and seeks to be his apprentice and Hey, or allow him to, be his Lord and hey where you lead I will follow how you live I'm gonna live what you say I'm gonna do it's going to set you apart and you're gonna look huh to others around you that's strange because I don't have those values I don't, I don't look that way but you know it, it it smells like it sounds familiar there's something beautiful about it but it's different also mm. um, and that's the opportunity to, well, it's Jesus. You know, you'd have to come out the straight, right, right from the front and say, Jesus, talk about where those values come from and why it is that way, mm -hmm. um, why it is that you live that way. So I, there's, in some instances, it, it does produce that curiosity. In other instances, though, the very name of Jesus, the life of Jesus, will produce a repelling, mm. a pushing away, mm. you know, of you. And so you should see those... Am I answering your question? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Just thinking about like how, you know, I, I, maybe a way to reframe my question is to ask, what's the difference between maybe Christianity in the past in the West and an exilic form of Christianity today? Like mm -hmm. what are some of the, how's the Christian life going to be reflected a little differently today than perhaps in the Midwest in the 1950s? 
well, you could assume back then that there was a common language, you mm. know, as far as when people mentioned the name of Jesus, there was common understanding, there were biblical values, and so there were some similarities. Um, today, that's not there. And so... Um, that's really good because as you're just saying that, I'm thinking about the... Uh, there's, there's generally statistics always show and polling always shows a spiritual thirst that people have right now they're looking for things and a lot of times i think as christians we think you've already done the process of analyzing and assessing christ and you've come to reject him but what you're saying is it's like a different language like if you imagine the israelites going to babylon you know you imagine young daniel with all his friends there in the king's palace their whole way of life was brand new. The, the Babylonians had not heard of Yahweh, considered Yahweh, rejected Yahweh. They'd not gone through that process yet. Um, they might have rejected a distant idea that they'd had. And I think a lot of people in our modern world have done that. Maybe false forms of Christianity that they've rejected, strange ideas about Jesus they've rejected. But people are hungry and searching and asking questions. So understanding we're not all coming at it from the same angle yeah. already. You can't make the same assumptions that people have, you know, that connection. You have to mind that out and say, man, where are they coming from? Why do they believe what they believe? And then also try to find where the entry point is for the gospel to build, to begin building a bridge. Yeah. Um, so for example, you know, one of the big values today is we, you know, we love our children. You know, I've seen uh, my wife, for example, build a bridge with somebody who was from a totally different heritage, background, history, and total opposite socioeconomic history and all that. And the bridge that she was able to make to begin to influence this woman with the gospel was, man, we both love our children. Mm. Our ch we've had different backgrounds, our children were raised differently, but you love your kids, I love my kids, that's what we have in common. And that was the bridge that she found to begin to influence her with the gospel. Wow. Um, and so it's not as clear these days what those bridges are. So you have to invest the time building relationships, building communication, building rapport to be able to find those um, handholds, those to be able to mm -hmm. latch onto. Yeah. Now you're a guy that's moved around a fair amount. You know, I, I don't know that it's like over the average because people these days do move a lot. Jobs and careers just kind of demand that in our modern time. Um, somebody like me is kind of a rarity, you know, mm -hmm. to be in the same place for so long. But God has finally brought you back to Monterey and we are all very appreciative of that. But from your vantage point, you know, because like in this piece, I talked a little bit about, you know, in really embracing where God has put you, you know, and I, it does seem like a lot of times, especially when things get heated and people are frustrated and you kind of begin daydreaming and thinking like, if I just lived in a place where, uh, the like 55% of the population voted the way I vote and 45 didn't. And so it was politically more aligned with where I'm at, I'd be happy. You know, and you start kind of having those daydreams, you know, I, th I think especially as a Californian, when you're thinking, man, I could sell my property, my house if I have one, and I could like move almost anywhere in the world, you know. 
Um, so how have you navigated um, kind of differentiating between moments where it's like a, a holy unrest, you know, where God is perhaps birthing like a new season, a, a Abrahamic call to go versus uh, an unholy unrest mm-hmm. where it's, man, this isn't from the Lord. I'm supposed to be here, but I'm just letting myself fantasize or, or dream about leaving and I shouldn't be. How, it would have been some ways that you've differentiated there. I have to go back to that uh, first point about us being a sent people. I've always mm. identified myself, hey, I'm sent. And I'm a sent person. Who's the one who sent me here? Who's the one that deployed me? It's God. It's Jesus is calling in my life. So when the first move, when I left from here to go to Georgia, um, there was a there was a feeling of being sent. Um, there was, uh, it wasn't just, oh wow, my mom's out there. And she's a single mom. And man, it would be nice to one day reconnect with her, you know, mm-hmm. see the grandkids while they're young. And that was in the back of my mind, but I also knew there had to be a greater purpose, a greater reason. What happens when, if and when, because I don't know the future, if and when mom moves, then what happens to that calling? If I move there right. because of mom, but when, when I had this sense, no, I, God is doing this. Um, that was one of the things that I, that I used. Not only that, it was uh, surrounding myself with other godly people who helped me discern that. Mm-hmm. My wife, it was actually a two-year process when we first left Monterey to go to Georgia. Um, we ended up hitting the brakes, and I ended up completing a second year okay. um, before I ended up leaving yeah. to go out there. And part of that was conversations with your dad, uh, my father-in-law, my wife. And um, it was two years after that initial call that then I felt, no, now's the time. So, and the the church that was looking for me had waited for me a whole additional year from when they had first offered the the role to be their youth pastor. So So the door hadn't closed. The door hadn't closed. Wow. So, and the other thought, I... I honestly felt that doors were clo- opportunities were closing for me here in Monterey. Mm-hmm. So, well, the uh, the next point in the article is number two to establish community there. So we've talked about you know first know that God sent you there, but the second thing establish community there. So this comes from Jeremiah twenty nine verse five through six which says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. All right, so in the article I say, second, Jeremiah told them to establish a community there. They were to put down roots, houses and businesses, marriage and children. This was all long range stuff. God told them to marry, have kids, and then watch those kids have their own kids. For multiple generations, they were to make Babylon their home. In our day, there's a new wrinkle to this exhortation to establish community. In Israel's day, they mainly increase through marriage and birth, but the church grows through evangelism and discipleship. In his book, Center Church, Tim Keller calls Israel's mission centripetal. They drew people in. But the church's mission becomes centrifugal. We spend less time drawing in and more time going out. 
Still, especially through our church families, we are to establish roots within our communities. To me, this is the only way we will survive. Without a strong church community, Christians will struggle to navigate the culture well. It is not necessarily big and programmatic churches that we need, but relational and biblical ones. When the people of a church live together, enjoy one another, and help guide each other, they are strengthened for life in Babylon. But all this takes time and prioritization. Many believers are too busy for meaningful church community and are relegated to less fulfilling connections. The pace of our culture can be a significant obstacle to establishing Christian community, but we must do what we can to live counterculturally and force the issue. So you had mentioned, Manny, uh, earlier that, you know, the, tr- the gathering is not the, the end goal. The end goal is that we're a sent people. But the gathering and the community is an important part of the process. If we don't have that strong in our lives, we're going to lack the safety net, the place of incubation, the place where nurturing and growth takes place. So we need to establish a Christian community. Have you, have you seen this to be important? What are some of your reflections on just thinking about um, establishing a, a Christian community in light of being in exile, being different. Oh, it's huge. It's, it's a central, central piece to living, you know, on mission because we need one another. You know, this idea that we, uh, uh, are, as, as a culture, we're pretty independent. You know, we don't like to depend on one another, but what we see in the scriptures is that as a result of Jesus coming into somebody's life, the Spirit of God, is that it seemed like they were drawn together. There was definitely a sense of community where there was dependence on one another, where the gifts were in operation, mm. and they were equipped to do the ministry of going going out. Um, it's essential because I think that's what Jesus said would be a witness to others. Mm. By the way you love one another, Who's he Mm -hmm. talking? Who's the one another? It's you and me. It's fellow believers that others will know that you are my disciple. Yeah. So um, a a church community such as Calvary Monterey is a great place to get to know others who live in that same city. And if you're intentional um, connecting with them, instead of just coming to a church service on Sunday morning and behaving like it's a movie theater where after the movie's over, you jet Mm -hmm. and the person to your left and to your right you might as well be, you know, strangers like you're watching a movie. That is so foreign to what we're supposed to experience in Christianity. We're supposed to be, well, one of the pictures that the scriptures give us is family. Mm. If God is my father and he's your father, that makes us brothers. Mm. But the way we behave, I'm not saying you and I, but the way I see many within church behave is more like, well, this is more like a movie theater, but not family. Right. And so connecting one another where we care for one another, we serve one another, we, um, the needs, I like to say, hey, I have this pickup truck and anybody at any time, hey, here are the keys, help, you know, help yourself. Why do I do that? Why do I live that way? Because we're the body of Christ, we're the family of God. Mm. And that's part of what I need, that's part of what you need, that's what we need Mm. to accomplish this mission of being sent people. I thought that I just had the special in on your 
pickup truck. I thought that was like a special Nate deal. That's just a everybody. Everybody. Man. It's Jesus truck. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to process that for a little bit. But yeah, I think that what you're drawing out, I, I was trying to point this out with, um, it's not so much that we needed, and I said a necessarily a big and programmatic church, but relational and biblical churches. Now, those might be big and they might mm -hmm. have programs, but a church that's relational and a church that is biblical. Those two things have been really important to us mm -hmm. here in how we've tried to fashion ministry. I really don't care about having tons and tons of ministries. I don't care about having like hyper specific, you know, for the left-handed 14 plus handicap golfer group. I'm not as interested in that. I'm interested in, are we biblical? Are we studying the word, honoring the word together? And then, are we breaking up into smaller groups? Are people with other Christians? Because that I think is what helps us survive exile. Mm -hmm. You know, a program, it's just gonna be so much harder for that to be the thing that gives me life when I'm getting beaten up and pounded by the society and world that I'm living in that yes. is totally flowing in a different direction than the convictions of my heart are trying to take me as a Christ uh, follower. So. I love that. So what are some, you know, I, I tried to talk a little bit about, you know, the fast paced modern world and culture. And to me, that's part also of the reason of trying to have a more relational church is that if what's required to really get into the church is being present on wherever the campus is for the church over and over again, it's that's really tough. What you need are relationships. You need people yes. in your living room and yes. you need to be in theirs. So what are some tips from you in this kind of modern world where people's schedules are so maxed, everybody's so stressed out, we're staring at screens all day, you know, we're just like, we're just so tired at the end of the day. A lot of times it feels like, dude, I don't have anything left for Christian fellowship and community. What's some advice you have for people in that situation? Well, number one, evaluate is that what God has for you is that the kind of life that he has called you to live as a believer I don't think mm -hmm. so and so if Jesus is Lord and this is what he's saying your life should look like there might be some uh, gospel reorienting that needs good. To, that needs to happen yeah. in your life some reprioritizing of some priorities to create some margin so that you can live in community with other believers um, I mean, the hope is, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love our life groups is because the hope is that a life group that gathers during the week are from people that are, live close by in the same general area where it's easy to connect. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you stay in contact throughout the week, um, you're aware of, hey, when I got sick, when my child's birthdays are, um, oh, wow, you're going on vacation. How did that go the following week? Man, I just lost my job. And you have this support system you know, this smaller family within the larger family of Calvary Monterey mm. um, to support. So those are some ways that it looks like. I think those are some practical things that you need to do is reevaluate gospel re or reprioritize and make space in your life for that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I would say that that reevaluation process for one, take it seriously. It's not something you can do while you're just listening to a podcast real quick. You got to really do a deep dive yes. and inspect your life and calendar and schedule. And I think I'd also say, don't expect to just add Christian community. Your life is probably already full 
it's going to require subtracting yeah. something else in order to make more space for the kingdom. So establish community there. The third point in the article I mentioned was to bless your city, uh, to bless your city. This is based on Jeremiah 29 verse seven, where God said, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. All right. So the third point, Jeremiah told them to bless their new city, Babylon. This is no insignificant statement, especially for anyone who has followed Babylon's trajectory throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, Babylon, or Babel, is representative of a culture apart from and opposed to God. Yet, during exile, God's people were to seek its well-being and intercede for it before God. Well, this might be surprising when one considers the overall tone of the Bible towards Babylon. It is less shocking once you consider the gospel. God loves the people of the world. Cities have lots of people. Babylon was a city. So it makes sense that the same heart that originated the gospel would also give this commission. Bless your city. Pray for your city. These actions are in line with the gospel. Our response to the cross should lead us to care for people in practical ways. Jesus came ready to do work for the people on the fringes, and so should his church. As we do good things for our communities, coupling our deeds with our prayers, God is pleased because it expresses his heart. So that was the, the third point. At the point of this recording, I'm getting ready to teach uh, Jonah chapter 3 to uh, the church. We're going through the book of Jonah here in Monterey right now. And in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah comes onto the scene and he pronounces the judgment that's going to come upon Nineveh. And then the Ninevites hear it and they repent of their sin. And they, the king says, we need a turn from our violence that's in our hands so that perhaps God will turn from his anger that he has towards us. And uh, one of the points that I'm trying to develop and make to the church is that uh, it's a mistake to only highlight one of those things in a church. You know, it's a mistake to say we're a church that proclaims the truth, but we don't pay any attention to the violence that's in our hands. We don't pay any attention to how we're treating people, how we're blessing our community, how we're doing good to those that are out there that are hurting. Um, but it's also a mistake to only focus on that and say our church is about social deeds and good works and that's what we're about and there's no mention of the truth we don't want to make you feel bad in any kind of way a good church holds on to both of those things in tension and says no we want to proclaim the truth but we also want to be really good people and here god is telling the israelites you need to be a blessing to what the bible kind of dictates is one of the most wicked cities in the world you need to be a blessing to babylon I want you to bless that city. So I, I see you kind of just eyebrows raised, you know, thinking about that concept. How do you see God asking us to be blessings to our cities in modern times? It's interesting because, you know, the, the tendency is to, be, to push away when you see wickedness, when you see evil, and the idea mm. that, man, I don't want that to infect me um, or affect my kids when I send them to public schools and you know, the guard comes up and you start, you know, that kind of, but I, um, 
I love the idea of running towards it because mm -hmm. we have the hope of the world. We have the gospel, you know, our presence, our words. I remember uh, two, two examples of this. One is more of a big one and one is a, a little small um, one. It's, you know, we can often think of that it has to be, pro in order to, for you to bless your city, that you have the, your church has to put on a program to mobilize right. lots of people. Yeah. But your church, the church, is made up of individuals. Mm. And you, individual person, you are a representation. You are the church. Um, and so when I moved to Iowa to plant, not to plant, I'm sorry, to pastor a little church in a little small town, 5,000 square people, 5,000 square miles, 5,000 people in this town. Uh, you know, a new pastor moves in, everybody found out about it, you know, so it's very, news spreads very quickly. And so I began to walk the street saying, man, I wonder what else I can do. I, everybody knows that I'm here for this church, but how can I communicate? Hey, Iowa Falls, I'm here for you. Mm. And so as I began to walk up and down the streets, I, um, I noticed it was an open storefront that was for, for rent. And the thought came to my mind, would you start a karate school? Because I have a background in martial arts, mm -hmm. like you said in, in the intro. And uh, man, it's been 15 years since I've done anything. Do I even still have it? <laughs> you know. So I, the nearest martial arts school was 40 minutes away. And I knew there were kids in this community that would love to learn martial arts. And so I began the process of getting uh, the rust out of my mm -hmm. joints and stuff like that. And I opened up a karate school and from day one, we had 40, 75, maybe, you know, 75 students. Um, during the daytime, people knew me as Sensei Manny, you know, and yeah. at night it was Pastor Manny. Oh, that is so great. You know, and so that was a way of me blessing the city to provide an amenity that they would have had to drive 40 minutes away and it communicate, man, this guy really cares for us. Yeah. You know, I, I had my office was in the coffee shop in this little small town. And people would literally call the coffee shop because they remember me studying, prepping for my sermons mm. in the back and they'd show up, hey, I need help with my marriage and stuff like that. And so it was just awesome, you know, to see that. that so that's kind of a, a big one, you know, starting a business, you know, that you're doing right. on the side. Yeah. Here goes a smaller one. Um, this one just happened recently. I work out at the local InShape and uh, I was at You Safe work out? Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was at the grocery store getting lunch, and there was a young guy there who recognized me from InShape. He's like, dude, I see you from InShape, man. You're, you're looking fresh, you, you know, looking dope. You know, what do you do? What do you? And he sees my groceries, what I'm buying. He says, I see you, you buy this soda called Zevia. It's like a stevia sweetened soda. I said, yeah, man, that's sweet stuff. The other stuff just kind of. And so... Um, I didn't get a chance to mention Jesus to him, but here's what I did. I took one of my Zevias out. I said, hey man, you've never tried it? He said, no. He's like, try this. And I gave him one. Yeah. You know? Well, from then on, I see him at the gym. He walked into the gym. Hey man, good to see you. And there's a connection there. And so right. my hope is that as I continue to be a presence at the gym, see him at the grocery store, that because I blessed him, me, the church, blessed this man who this young man who lives in our city, there's going to be an opportunity to bless them with the even greater blessing. Yeah. The, the name I, of Jesus. I love that so much. Both of those examples, you know, on the one hand, the business, the work, you know, you know that we went through a series here not that long ago called Wholehearted Work. Yes. I actually wrote a book afterwards to 
so that people could access that and record it in audiobook as well so people could think about that because what we want is for people to see their workplace as a way to bless their city. Yep. The quality of our work, the quality yes. of our character in our workplaces can greatly impact our city. And there are times we need to take a step back and ask the question, is my work contributing to this culture and society or is it downgrading this yeah. culture and society? You know, am I the spam caller, you know, uh -huh. that's just like, well, I'm getting paid for this, but nobody likes this. This product is <laughs> unnecessary and I'm not adding to life. You not, might need to take a step back and ask that question. What is it that I need to be doing to not just pay the bills, mm -hmm. but to be a blessing. So I love that. But then just the, um, the small, I think for you, what's happening in the grocery store in that moment is that your identity has been so tied to I'm sent, yep. I'm sent, I'm sent, I'm a gift to this community somehow, some way. This guy's never had one of these drinks before. I'm going to give him one that who, you're not like thinking in your mind, this is going to open a door. This is my strategic <laughs> first step. It's just that it, we live in a time where you, it's hard to get to know people. Yes. It's hard to just connect with people, you know? So we have to be thinking about ways to just show kindness, to try to find those opportunities Amen. to be able to share. So I love that. The when idea. I was uh, pastoring in Georgia, planting that church, there was a time where the church wasn't able to pay me. So I took on a little side job bagging groceries at the local grocery store. Wow. You got to know everybody. Got to know everybody. But, and you know, it's a side hustle. I mean, it wasn't a, I mean, it was putting, putting food at the table. But the way I was doing it, you know, with a smile on my face, with joy in my heart, it was like, man, these are, I'm doing this as if this were, G something uh, happened. They started asking me to deliver groceries to other customers. And the way I was working was a witness, yeah. you know, as I was seeking to be a, a blessing. And so, yeah, just a huge, you know, just like you were saying that your job and the way you do your job uh, can be a blessing to your boss, to your employees. You know, when you do it with a smile on your face, when you go through hard times and you're the one, you know, with the good attitude, yep. you know? So all that is a way to bless your city. Yeah, people are thirsting for that in our modern time, I think. So, Manny, you are helping me pastor this church, Calvary Monterey. Um, and obviously not everybody listening to this is part of our church, but many people are, and we're recording this and releasing this primarily, or, or at least a, a big part of our heart is to help them, the people that are under, under our care. What are some of the ways in our church specifically, we're trying to be a blessing to our city? I know for us, one of our a major way that we're trying to be a blessing to our city is through our uh, bridge residential program with pastor Mike Casey and his wife, Michelle, and their whole team, providing a place for men and women to be able to come out of life dominating addiction, come out of prison, come out of a chaotic time in their lives to get clean if they need to a period of getting clean and to begin to grow and discover the Lord. And our church has kind of for a lot of years been um, not the ones that have to run all of that, but kind of just a, a, a nest for that beautiful ministry to rest in. What are some of the ways uh, beyond that that we're trying to be a blessing to our city? 
I think um, one of the first ones that come to mind is our support of this or local organization called Set Free Monterey Bay that's involved in the human trafficking. Mm -hmm. They just opened up a home and we're supporting them financially. We support the local crisis pregnancy center, helping women who are struggle, who are dealing with the effects of abortion or wonder what you thinking about an abortion, trying to support them. Um, you mentioned the bridge. Uh, and there's other ministries like that that we support. But mm -hmm. what really excites me is when I hear individuals owning their responsibility to be mobilized yeah. apart from, oh, wow, our church is doing this mm -hmm. program. Our church is doing this event. And I'm going to check the box and do, you know, what really excites me when I hear of, of folks doing it on their own where God shows them a need and they own it and they take off and start running with yeah. it. Um, that, those are the things that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Let's wrap it up with our last point. The fourth point is to reject anti exile messengers. Uh, this is from Jeremiah 28 verse eight and nine for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So this last point, Jeremiah told them to reject anti-exile messengers. Uh, because Jeremiah's message of invasion followed by a long captivity was not easy for people to receive because he did not heal the people lightly, many false prophets and teachers arose. People were looking for another way, and these false teachers were willing to give it to them even if it proved to be a lie. They told the people... They would not experience captivity, that Israel would eventually defeat the enemy, and that Jerusalem, not Babylon, would be the city they would inhabit. And just as the people in Jeremiah's day needed to reject anti-exile messengers, so do we. Our, air, our airwaves, Wi-Fi signals, and podcast stores are filled with them. They tell us to fight. It's time to arm up, forget the way of Jesus, and take up the way of Herod or Caesar or Alexander or Nebuchadnezzar. Or they tell us to flee, run for the hills, create the commune, develop the monastery, write it all out and wait for the day society accepts you again. Or they tell us to conform. Don't be so biblical. Let culture define your views. Sand down the hard and strange or confusing edges of Christianity. We must reject these anti-exile messengers, these bombastic peddlers of division, these megaphones of compromise who are using our fears to build their following and our anxieties to improve their analytics. Turn them off. As God said, it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them. So this last one, you know, is, uh, I mean, I should probably note that I concluded the article right before the probably the most famous verse in the book of Jeremiah, <laughs> you know, before I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to draw out this context, you know, here's God saying to the people through Jeremiah, Hey, people are going to come along and say, no, this, this captivity is not from God. Um, and to me, uh, I think that we need to resist messengers like these who are saying, Hey, don't, don't, embrace an exilic Christianity, embrace dominant Christianity, or don't embrace exilic Christianity, uh, embrace Christianity that's running and separating. 
Uh, don't embrace exilic Christianity. Embrace a Christianity that is conforming itself to society and culture. But what we want is to be a distinct Christianity inside of the communities that we're living in, engaging the communities that we're living in. So I'm curious for you how that portion of the article hits you for one, and then also secondarily, have you uh, ever noticed the damaging effects of anti-exile messengers? How so? Well, I love how you put that to, those, those are some of the words that came to my mind was being distinct, um, seeing, yes, I am different, but without separating yourself. Um, you know, it, it's almost, well, one way that I, I think I just finished teaching on this with the guys on Thursdays, you know, that uh, we think that being around that stuff will infect us, being around sin, being around, but it's, it, when we're tempted, those things reveal what's already inside of us. And I think it starts off realizing that the same salvation that it took to save you is the same salvation that it's going to take to save them. Mm. So it kind of levels out the playing field between me and the world. I don't think of myself as better than or uh, more holy than than them. Um, and so that's one of the things that enables me to be with and to look for opportunities to engage those that, that don't believe. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the ways that we've, we personally, my wife and I have done that is we've opened up our home to our neighbors. I remember when we lived in, in Fresno, we lived in the hood of Fresno. We were trying to reach out to our mm -hmm. community because our community wasn't coming to church. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is, I remember putting an article out, a little ad out on, um, on Craigslist saying, hey, you know, if you're hurting, if the church has hurt you, if you don't know, you know, you want it, you know, hey, I'm available to talk. Somebody replied. And so, and people started replying to that little ad mm -hmm. and I would visit them, hang out with them at Burger King or at Starbucks or whatever. And little by little people started, we would invite people over for dinner and they would come over to the house and um, strangers. And so that was one way for us to uh, still be distinct. You know, we were living on mission, living on purpose, uh, but at the same time, being in the community and finding a way to reach the hearts of these people um, by opening up our homes. Because wow. the church campus, you know, for them, when you live in the hood, church campus is like, that's holy. Mm -hmm. That's not for me. I don't belong there. Where our community is surrounded with drugs and alcohol and abuse. And um, I think one of, the, one of the things we have to fight against is that idea that when we come here to this campus, we are a gathered people and that's our identity to gather and stay away from the world. And no, we're, we're sent people mm -hmm. and we're here to recharge, get filled up, get equipped to live like family, to be sent out. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you fight or how you resist these challenges that you presented here, the tendency to fight, the tendency to flee or to conform, mm -hmm. to conform. Yeah. Have you ever thought about putting a Craigslist ad out where it's a free couch and that's <laughs> on the curb and then you're sitting on the couch and you just have to share the gospel before they can 
Yeah, if you receive Jesus, you're gonna have the couch. That's probably not a good That's strategy. Not a good strategy. Okay, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm just just spitballing here. Yeah. Just just brainstorming. Okay, so uh, okay, I love the the perspective that you're sharing. I think to me, one of the things about um, I think if I just put it this way, like in a polarized world, there's just anti-exile messaging constantly. Like, don't accept that that is the way things are. You have to fight. And um, this is, I think, a challenge for believers because we will have, for, for example, not to just totally step in it right now, but we will have, for instance, our political inclinations and desires. And then there's our Christianity. And um, our hope is that our political desires are informed by our Christianity, but I don't know that there's any political system or party or ideology that is accurately representing Jesus and Christianity in all ways at all times. So we're trying to make the best of it. We're in a lot of ways picking the uh, lesser of evils. A lot of times it feels like, but it seems like there are times where we kind of pick up that political grid and it's fight, 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 fight. When there are times that the Lord is saying, hey, this isn't one of those fight moments. This is one of those be a Christian moments and think about how to uh, serve, minister to, bless the community, the city that you're in. But a lot of times it's easy to get, uh, you know, I heard somebody say one time, like anybody with a massive following, they've polarized somebody. Like that's the way that you get a following in these times that we're in is you be bombastic and then people will either reject you or rush to you or rush to you because they're rejecting you. And I think as Christians, we need to watch out for those kind of voices that are saying, no, this is not a time to adopt a gentle, humble version of Christianity. This is a time to adopt a militant fighting version of Christianity. I'm sensitive to that. And I know it's a hard thing to navigate and always figure out the right wise thing to do. Um, But um, I think I just trend towards wanting at least the gentle, compassionate Christianity that understands that the world is depraved and broken, that they're lost without Jesus, that we're blinded by sin. So why would I expect anything else than I'm seeing today? And I have the antidote. I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Manny, it's been great chatting with you today. Do you have any last exhortations or encouragements for the people yeah, in the church? Just to, uh, you know, piggyback on how you left off making that final point. Um, my confidence, my hope is in the gospel. Paul said that it is, it is the power of God. Amen. The, the power of an omnipotent God to rescue mankind. Politics doesn't do that. And, uh, and you know what? You, you don't have to, the gospel works in spite of politics. You don't have to adjust your politics in order to then believe in and trust in the gospel. So starting off with the God, starting off with politics and trying to get people to align with you that way, and then trying to work in the gospel, that's totally backwards. You know, it's the gospel. That's the power of God to salvation. So that is what, um, empowers us to be, uh, 
not uh, not flee, but because the power of God, the strength of God, um, it's what encourages us not to fight because it's His power, not our power. I don't have to fight. Mm. You know, I can be, but it's the power of God within me that strengthens me. That to be, I don't know, the image that's coming to mind is velvet steel. Mm. You know, hard this the steadiness, this confidence that roots me, that grounds me, that enables me to take the rejection when that happens, but also uh, a softness that is like Jesus, yeah. you know, the lamb of Jesus, but who's also the lion, yes. you know? So uh, our confidence needs to be in the gospel. Yeah, So, amen. Well, bro, one last exhortation from me to you is I just, from the bottom of my heart, don't skip leg day. Never. That's just my, very important. It's my favorite. In fact, I'm part. leaving right now. Time. I don't want to skip leg day. I got to get to it. So love you, bro. Thanks for being with me. And thanks to all of you for listening today. And uh, if you've made it this far, hope this was encouraging to you. And we'll see you in two more weeks for our next episode that uh, I think is going to be a conversation with Pastor Riley Monzo about the theology of worship. So I'm really excited to pick his brain about what is worship personally, corporately? Why do we do that as a gathering? What is the power in it? How can it change and transform my life? Uh, what, what is worship and are we, how are we constructed for it? So tune in next time for that conversation. Thanks guys.